Welcome to the Drunk Dietitians Podcast, co-hosted by your favorite tipsy registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, co-owner of Dietitians of Palm Valley, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. Us dietitian besties can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We're also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we're medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So grab your favorite cocktail and join us for our favorite casual happy hour and expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Cheers. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. Um, we are actually giggling slash and crying. Slash crying. Um, I knew, I knew having, we had Fiona Sutherland on today, who is an Australian dietitian paving the non-diet approach, anti-diet movement, health at every size. Um, she was a big part of my transition into the intuitive eating realm. And so I was so, so, so excited to have her chat. I with was Anna. so nervous. <laughs> and, um, but she is the most kind, uh, uh, just so intelligent. Like it's, this episode is going to, I really think it's going to be one of the most helpful episodes we give off because Jenna was so vulnerable with everyone and it almost became like, kind of like a counseling session. For right. sure. I don't really think there's words to describe like what I've gotten out of this episode. Um, it's pretty pivotal for me. And I think that for everybody listening, if you are a dietitian and you're confused about like where you stand in this nutritionally heated, charged world, I mean, Fiona. Diet culture. Yeah, bubble. Like Fiona has this very calming way of just kind of telling you everything's going to be okay, but here's what you need to do next. And like, that's what I have the chills from that. And like, just to get like sappy for a second, like I've watched my friend Sammy blossom into the place where she is, where she's impacting so many people's lives. And like, just let me keep talking here. Okay. Uh, so I'm now still in New Jersey. Sammy's in Florida. And because obviously we're connected in different ways, a lot of, you know, my followers and her followers were similar at a time. And, you know, as a friend to hear people talking about my friend who's states and states and states away and how her message is so loud and clear and strong and how it's resonating with people in New Jersey and, you know, hearing people talk about it in gyms, like that was a moment of aha for me. That was like so beautiful. But then today to hear like the rapport between you and Fiona and how much she sees you as like the next, like, person leading the charge in this movement like she really does and you can see that in the way she spoke to you today and it was just so beautiful and I hope to be following in your footsteps you know continuously so this episode was emotional it was fun it was inspiring and I can't wait to hear what everyone's feedback is yeah it's seriously Jenna well first of all thank you for all that I just said but thank you for being so vulnerable because I share on this episode a time that I first met Fiona and I was literally bawling my eyes out like a baby <laughs> um and so you guys will hear more details about that in this episode but 
being a dietitian in today's day and age with this horrendous diet culture is it's insanity. And I was ready to leave <laughs> the career of a dietitian um, within the past few years. And I know Fiona had a similar story, so she shares that. And so um, this episode by far is my favorite one we've ever recorded. I think it's so real. It's authentic. I think it's going to help hundreds of thousands of dietitians and RDs to be and just people that just feel that confusion. Cause I know that's something that hasn't gone away for me yet. And it's, I don't think it ever will. We live in a horrible diet culture, but Fiona's amazing. She's one of the world's leading researchers and amazing, amazing um, supervision to dietitians all over the globe. So and wait until you hear her beautiful Australian accent. Oh. You're going to be like, I never want to listen to Jenna's New Jersey voice and Sammy's <laughs> Pittsburgh voice ever again. Like bring on more Australians. <laughs> yes, and we will. We will. We have some, we have an Australian on Monday. We're that's right. Lots of, lots of Aussies. But without further ado, let's jump in. Um, and I can't wait to hear people's feedback on this episode. So let's get it started. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. Oh, yes. <laughs> and this one is actually one of our first like Friday night episodes, which is really exciting. I know. It's now, a it's, true happy hour. It's a true happy hour for us, but for our beautiful guest, Fiona Sutherland, um, it's, is it 8 or 9 a.m. there right now? It's 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m. So we have an Aussie with us. Um, and it's 9 a.m. in Australia right now. It's Saturday for her, Friday for us, which we're excited about. But we have a very special guest, Miss Fiona Sutherland here. Some of you might recognize her as the Mindful Dietitian on Instagram. She's an anti-diet, haze-centered dietitian who practices mindfulness. She's a yoga teacher. She hails from Melbourne, Australia. She's the director of the Mindful Dietitian and Body Positive Australia. Um, has many, well, as we'll get into, we, I was going to say many certifications, but on Australia, we just learned that they fly a little freely over there and don't have technical certifications um, from a back end standpoint. But she has so much um, experience with eating disorder, has been a dietitian for over 15 years. Um, she's a sports dietitian. We could go literally on for an hour about all of your credentials. So, Without further ado, we're going to have Jenna jump in, Fee, and give you a little bit of a rapid fire, um, and then we're just going to just get going. So thank you. I just you. want to listen to you talk. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I tell you um, what, my, my kids don't want to listen to me talk, so that feels nice. Thank you. <laughs> All day. Anytime you need to say anything, you can give us a call, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So I added in one new one today, but I'm going to start with an original. Wine or beer? Oh, you know what? Depends on the season. I so I'm gonna, so I'm gonna say for for now I'm gonna say beer because okay. it's summer here. I was just gonna <laughs> say it's warm by you. Okay, what kind mm -hmm. of beer? Now that I gotta know. Well, do you know what's really funny is um, when I when I was uh, on my last trip to the States, when I met Sammy and we hung out, um, <laughs> I was uh, co-facilitating and co-presenting a series of non-diet workshops with Hayley Goodrich, who is a real beer aficionado. And she <laughs> taught me so much about beer and helped me understand what I liked and what I, what I didn't like. And I, what I came to understand is that I was making all these assumptions about beer I guess in 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 lots of ways the way people make assumptions about food likes or dislikes or you know cuisines or 
you know, all these, all these kind of um, ways that we develop relationships with, with food and, and with alcohol, apparently. <laughs> and so it seems as though um, East Coast IPAs are my favourite. Mm. And also I've come to really like sour beers mm. and also... Um, What's called a milk stout? That's my beer. I love those. I don't think <laughs> really. it's like drinking oh, chocolate milk. Didn't you have one, Jenna, the one time that was like a peanut butter chocolate something? Yes. When I went to California, my brother and I, we sat down at a restaurant and it was like midday and I ordered the peanut butter stout and the woman was like, oh, that's a little heavy for lunchtime. I was like, bring me two. <laughs> like, leave me alone. <laughs> Thank you, judgy lady. Right. Like, I'll take two. Thank you. <laughs> They're so good. Yeah. Um, okay. Perfect. I love this already. Winer uh, says, Winer beer was beer right now. Tequila or vodka? A vodka, definitely. How about this one? Would you rather read a, a real book or use a Kindle? Well, I do have a Kindle, but my preference is a book. Me too. Um, cats or dogs? Ooh. <laughs> I definitely grew up as a dog person and I would still say I'm leaning towards dog. Um, but we have now had a cat for about uh, 12 months or so and he's a rescue. We got him as a young, a young adult rescue and I just love his sassiness. He's like, <laughs> I love you. Now I don't. Now pat me, feed me, go away come here and just his his sass i just love it he's just you know he he basically tells us what to do he takes no shit and i just really like that whereas dogs are like play with me oh i love you yeah. i love you all the time come play with me oh yes i love your lap you know whereas cats like no go away yeah. you're being annoying yep. you know. <laughs> Oh, Made me. That's great. <laughs> now go away. So, <laughs> um, okay, snow or sand? Sand, definitely. Excellent. I'm Australian. Come on. I, yeah. It's fair. Um, okay, here's a big one for me and Sam. We have a debate going on. Would you rather have crunchy or smooth peanut butter? Do you know what? I'm going to put myself out there. I don't like peanut butter. <gasps> Oh my god! Oh my goodness! If everybody listening could see your faces, so what just happened there, everybody listening? We'll is the share of that clip? Both and Sammy visibly like launched back in their seats. We've never got that answer before. I just—it's like a universal like love, I guess, but maybe not. Well, okay, I'll you take know. it. You know, we haven't had <laughs> someone be allergic to peanut butter yet too so That's we have to be true. very oh. mindful of that no, i Not just that don't like it don't no. like it um, actually i like um peanut butter and chocolate things together, together. Okay. so i like no. peanuts i like the flavor there's something about i don't know maybe maybe it was the smooth texture that i don't like so mm. if i was to choose <laughs> if i was in a situation where i needed like a high energy snack um and I had very little choice, then I would say crunchy. So how's that? I'll, I'll take it. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now here's our last question is if you could have one thing in limitless quantities, but it couldn't be money, what would it be? Mm. That is such a good question. I would say, um, 
time with my kids I, I would say I yeah I know that sounds a little bit like yeah no but way, um, but I would say yeah time with my kids I, you know because as much as they drive me around the twist <laughs> um, they're just so dear like they're really dear they're now in um, upper elementary school so they're eight and ten they're just really passionate about like life which I love yeah. and yeah, I would say that because I can already see my older one starting to have friend preferences over parent preferences and um, yeah, I can slightly see things shifting. So I'm like, Oh, I just really want <laughs> yeah. the time with, with my kids. Yeah. Remind us, do you have, do you have, Two boys? Do you have? I, I forget. Do. Okay, I just like that. Boy, mom. I do, yeah. and they are obsessed with sport, like completely. Yeah. Like my um, uh, my younger one has remarkably. He's got a he has a um, an LA shirt which has got Kobe Bryant on the back of it. Mm -hmm. So since you know, God rest his soul, um, Kobe Bryant passed away only last week. Um, he's been constantly wearing this shirt. Yeah. And so he just, so yeah, I mean, they, they are absolutely passionate about, about anything to do with sport and mostly Australian sport, except for, no, actually, no, that's not true. It can be anything that involves any implement. So tennis, <laughs> rackets, <laughs> bats, any size ball, any pace of ball, they, um, they love it. So that's yeah, awesome. we've got Saturday is sports day for us. Yeah. I was going to say, it makes for a very busy lifestyle, but it's so rewarding. Sure it's so yeah. fun. It's really fun. You know, we are a very busy family and it's also lots of fun. So it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump right in because I feel like I want to keep you for like seven hours and ask you a million things and just pick your brain, but we're just going to jump right in because we know we don't have that time with you. Um, so for everyone listening I guess, and you do so many things. That's the hard thing with you. Like if someone says like, what do you do? Like, that's probably such a really hard question. I smash diet culture and eat it for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> with you, Sammy. <laughs> but I, so how do you explain, I want you to think about, well, there's two questions to this one for our listeners. I want you to pretend like this group listening has never heard of haze and has no idea what it is. So can you explain health at every size, otherwise known as haze, to our listeners and what it means and, and just your work within that field? Sure. So if, I, if I'm meeting someone for the first time, and especially in professional circles, this happens fairly frequently, um, that often it will depend on the context that I'm meeting someone to how I would explain what it is that I do. And what I will often explain, uh, what I'll often start with is something that the other person can draw on as a commonality. So for example, if I'm meeting somebody who I know already has some mental health awareness or some, um, some awareness of um, social justice issues, or they happen to also be another woman or a femme, um, then I'll kind of start explaining what I do from a place where perhaps the other person can understand, maybe not so much from a lived experience mm -hmm. um, point of view in terms of their relationship with food, eating and body, but more something that we can more globally understand. So to, to answer your first question, which was about health at every size. 
So, um, so health at every size or shortened to HAES, H-A-E-S, is a registered trademark for the size for the Association for Size Diversity and Health, otherwise known as ASDA, which is based in the US, and it's also a registered trademark um, by HAES Australia now, which is you know really exciting. And the purpose really of trademarking is that the principles and philosophies of health at every size remains aligned with its intention, its intended use. So it's a weight inclusive um, paradigm and series of five principles, which invites us to um, broaden our view, view, I guess, and our practice philosophies specifically for health professionals um, and communities too. Um, but a lot of people who um, who would adopt health at every size principles are kind of health health professionals of in some way, shape, or form, and it's an invitation to. To, to broaden, lengthen and deepen our lens of how we understand what we name as quote unquote health. So again, it's an inclusive, uh, it's an inclusive set of principles and paradigms and um, which also incorporates um, a sense of social justice and equity. So it invites us really to look at who gets to even have access to the possibility of better quote-unquote health. I'll stop saying quote-unquote health. I'll yeah. just say health. Oh. But I say quote-unquote because health is something that is not only not necessarily available to lots of people, but the possibility um, of improved health is not necessarily available. And that's a systemic problem as opposed to um, or, a, or a problem that is rooted in our culture, um, systems in our culture, as opposed to that it's somebody's individual issue or problem, which, which stops them from being able to um, kind of pursue health or health behaviours. So it really, um, the, the, the overall purpose of these principles is really to not only examine the systems that are in place, which stop people from being able to access or pursue opportunities for better health, but then also how we can open up those opportunities for people, how we can increase access for all people existing in all bodies at all stages of health and well-being um, so that it becomes a, a fairer place um, you know uh, equal is a whole nother is a whole nother ball game okay mm -hmm. um, but but for something to be fair um, and equitable really invites us to look at, you know, what are the, not only what are the systems in place, but how as health professionals can we make contributions to, um, uh, to improving access and equitable, equitable care for all people. Yeah. That was such an amazing answer. And then my next question, right, is like, so how do we do it? <laughs> so like, how have right, you right. been breaking ground? And I know a big part of what you do and, and you can kind of let our, our listeners know, like, what is the mindful dietitian, right? Like, what is that? And, and how you're training other dietitians. And I guess I skipped right over that because I got too excited to ask you a question for everyone listening. The reason um, Fee and I were introduced originally, now, is it safe to say, were you Haley's supervisor originally was she getting supervision from you okay all right okay so Haley Goodrich a dietitian um that was in my dietetic internship class um in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania before we even became dietitians we became very close and 
then kind of went our separate ways, went into the professional world. And I remember just seeing, once Haley switched over to private practice, just seeing this message of intuitive eating and haze. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, like I literally had never seen it before, never heard about it before. Um, and then in that time, I was also feeling things like, I need to leave the dietetic field because it was very weight centric. It was very, um, here's how you teach people to lose weight. Here's what you have to give them. Here's what you have to do. And I just felt this confliction. And so Haley and I kind of stayed close over the years. And then um, she now, like Fee was saying, they do workshops all over. Now, are you guys doing them in Australia coming up too, right? Or did you already? No, we, we, have just confirmed um, our okay. San Diego location, but we're yeah. doing Portland and San Diego in May. So we're really excited. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. So mm -hmm. you guys are hitting up the West coast. Mm -hmm. um, so I went out and what was, that was September of 2019. I met Fiona in Washington DC at their non-diet approach principles practice and purpose workshops where it's teaching dietitians teaching medical professionals or people in the health industry um, how to use this non-diet approach and how to start to bring that into practice and one of my favorite terms I think I learned that weekend which is not like an official term but was splinter assing and that is something um <laughs> Fee, why don't you let us, like, tell us what splinter assing is, um, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, um, I actually can't clearly recall how it came about, but I think it came about maybe in a conversation thread yeah. on maybe Facebook or something like this. And I feel like maybe someone like Deb Burgard, who is arguably one of my greatest teachers, mentors, um, friends, colleagues, um, and has been really instrumental in the early health at every size movement, especially in the US. Um, so I just want to kind of give a nod to her. I have a feeling she's, um, so Deb has this incredible, dry, hard hitting, wonderful, I just adore her sense of humor. And I think she said something and I was like, oh yeah, that's called splinter assing or something like that anyway. And everyone was laughing and I was like, okay, class clown. Um, I'm just going to take this and run with a hashtag. And there so there you go. So I'm going, so I, from there, I started using it as a hashtag to describe um to describe people who are sitting on the fence pretty much so mm -hmm. i don't need to give you a clear image there but it's a <laughs> it's a fence sitter yeah shall we yeah. say um and so by 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 fence sitting i think um what i want to be clear about is that it's not always intentional um yeah. And it's not always obvious either, you know. Uh, I also want to put out my hand and just say really clearly, I was, I was, I, I was a splinter ass for years. Me yeah, too. and Sammy's kind of put up her hand too. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think we need to start with being really honest with ourselves as well. About, I feel like you know, I am one, and that's why my hand didn't go up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this, is, this is a great time to talk about it because we have the right. ass creator right here. Right. And right. I mean, I say that with obviously the end, like I hope obviously because I'm here on this podcast with you right now that like my heart and soul is in the haze and intuitive eating movement. I just haven't become certified in that practice. Um, but I was really interested in this conversation to hear like how this came about for you. And, you know, I just looking at the notes from our intern and like, 
you know, you didn't start out obviously in this part of the field. So can you tell us a little more, I don't mean to interrupt the definition, but a little bit more about, you yeah. know, how it came to be. Yeah. And how I was on one side of the fence and then yeah. I was definitely like, um, it's also called paradigm straddling. I yeah. guess that's the proper <laughs> term. <laughs> I prefer splinter ass, but you know, um, before really, really, you know, firmly being on one side of the fence. And that also doesn't mean, I've got to be honest, I mean, it also doesn't mean that um, I don't mess it up and accidentally or unintentionally kind yeah. of splinter us still to this day. Um, and I'm so fortunate to have people around me, you know, supervisors and support networks and communities who are able to call me in on that stuff, you know, who are able to say, oh, hey, you kind of, you missed that bit or, oh, I don't, you know, you didn't quite get that. I think the way that you intended to like, you know, the, how, how might that light might land for people or, um, you know, I, I try to be really intentional with my language. And I think that's a little bit where it comes, where, where it, uh, the groundwork of it is being really intentional and understanding our language and, and how that really makes a difference. The words that we use and um, the words that we understand as being helpful and harmful and everything in between. So just to kind of uh, reverse here to answer your question, Jenna. So I, I really started off very much um, in weight-centric practice. I mean, that was the way that I was trained. That's all I was exposed to. I definitely grew up in a, a very weight-centric family where, um, you know, particular bodies were regarded in particular ways in terms of praise and criticism um, was really overt. It wasn't subtle. It was really overt. Um, and so although I wasn't necessarily exposed to a lot of the obvious dieting behavior, the language and the attitudes towards various people in various bodies and various ways of showing up in the world, that was not hidden at all. And so I kind of swallowed that line and sinker, you know, um, as many humans do in the world, and especially as a female and femme, you know, living in this world. Uh, so I guess as a, as a dietitian, I, I didn't necessarily have a vision of what kind of dietitian I wanted to be. And, you know, 20 years ago, which is when I graduated, um, there, there wasn't a, really a community. There wasn't a non-diet community. I didn't have those that language. Um, but it was actually through just personal conversations with my clients and I realized something was really wrong. And the mistake I made early on was thinking that I wasn't doing good enough. Like I wasn't doing the weight loss work good enough. Like it was my fault. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing or somewhere in between, but I actually didn't blame my clients. I blamed myself. So I became very um, close to dropping out of the profession. And in fact, I lived in Canada for two years and didn't work as a dietitian. And when I came back from Canada, I kind of needed a job that paid more than 15 bucks an hour. So I ended up in a weight loss practice and it was really there that I just heard this repetitive, you know, message. And so that was where I started to do non-diet weight loss. And that is like one of the, that is obvious fence sitting. So let's talk about, first of all, obvious fence sitting. So non-diet weight loss or, for example, mindful eating for weight loss or um, non-diet portion control. Like I, 
to this day, and I can I can see you nodding nodding along, Sammy. It's really obvious to us now. Um, but it wasn't are, to me originally, and nope. that's where nope. a lot of dietitians, I think, listening. It's like we hear these, and I posted about this like right before we got on today because I sent Jenna your podcast. I yes. <laughs> with Fiona Willer, episode 49 of The Mindful Dietitian, which we'll link in the show notes, but just about her research of dietitians and exposure to this message. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I just relate to it so much because I think you first hear it and you know, like you know in your soul it's right, but then you've been trained in this weight-centric lens. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, hear this weight inclusive message. And you're like, well, what, what do I do? And so you kind of try. And again, that's like how you were feel like I tried. I was like, okay, can I make this work? And then now being on the other side, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How did I do that? But at the time I was like, no, no, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm figuring it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there's two things there. The first is that, you know, our, one of our core, one of the core elements of being human is we want to be good people. We mm. desire to be good people in the world and do good things um, and, and also to be seen as good people. Now, how that shows up and how we frame that can, oh my goodness, in, in, a, in a billion different ways, right? And sometimes we, we want to do, we want to feel good because we have a sense of belonging and our behaviors might not always be helpful to the world, but we still we have a sense of belonging, which serves that purpose of feeling good and being a good person. So especially as dietitians and I suppose health or health promoting or helping professionals, I guess you would say, you know, that there's that core of us that we want to really help people. We do. We don't want to hurt people. We don't get into medicine and nursing and dietetics and physiotherapy and all that kind of stuff if we're thinking, oh, no, I'm not interested in helping people. Yeah. So I think what happens is there's this cognitive, almost this cognitive dissonance that happens when we, when it becomes a little bit more into our vision, into our kind of field of vision, that maybe what we have believed and maybe actually what we've done in the world maybe has harmed people. And what that does is it kind of puts us in this very difficult position where that very core of who we want to be in the world is actually called to question. And so usually you'll have a couple of different responses. One is that people become quite defensive because they desperately need to defend a sense of being good, a good person and good in the world. And that this internal conflict of, hang on a second, what are you saying? Are you saying I'm not a good person? I am a good person. I'm going to defend my position. This is doing good in the world. I do help people. People are grateful to me. You know, people like me. I'm a nice person. <laughs> and I've seen that. I've seen that. And uh-huh. I feel like on social media, and I know we've talked about this off air, there's been some situations where, yeah, people are like, I'm, you know, I'm helping people. I'm helping people. And I get that. Because again, those thoughts, when, those are definitely first thoughts that went through my head when I was first kind of introduced to this. That's like, that is exactly the response. Um, Definitely. And unless we stay aware of that response, unfortunately, what happens is we then turn away from opportunities where we can learn. It's, it's really um, unfortunate, actually, that we're, that as humans, we're not, well, and, and as health professionals, we're not encouraged to turn towards those feelings and to be curious about them, you know, and to think, oh, like, what's going on here? We're so uncomfortable with discomfort. You know, and and and, this, and as I said before, the conflict that arises between, hang on a second, but I'm a good person, 
and people like me and you know what does this mean in terms of who I am in the world and what I do in the world and my whole degree maybe (laughs) Um, or my whole philosophy or my actually even my own personal experience what does this mean Mm -hmm. um so and then and then the other the other uh, more um, other response is more uh, what I alluded to before is that leaning in of tell me more help me understand more uh this is not something that I've come across um I'm feeling a bit um I'm feeling either a bit uncomfortable or super uncomfortable um and but I want to know more and so I think I I actually can't often predict which way people are going to go. And sometimes it's a little bit in the middle, some initial defensiveness and then some curiosity. So what really my, my, one of my main aims with the mindful dietitian is cultivating a community where we can just be more curious and where discomfort can be invited rather than turned away from. So that's one of my main goals with this community is is really supporting people to turn towards those feelings and then supporting people to support each other to, you know, so in workplaces or maybe local chapters or, um, you know, local community groups or whether that's collegial or personal, that we can support each other to be more courageous rather than to shut down and just kind of along with the status quo and do what we've always done because unfortunately there's a lot of uncomfortable truths that we are still yet to um, face in dietetics you know the the harms we've done the the people that we've really really hurt Um, most notably over the past you know 50 years culturally I would say 50 or 60 years culturally but then also with the kind of the whitewashing of nutrition and Eurocentrism of nutrition but then more recently, I guess, over the past 30 to 40 years with the whole weight loss stuff and how we have unwittingly become, uh, you know, kind of uh, become frontline weight loss people. That was, that's not the core of our training at all. You know, I've got a five-year degree and I, it's, <laughs> it's, we're so highly clinically skilled and yet we end up kind of being... Uh, you know, stalwarts for the weight loss industry, which I just, just is sickening to me. Yeah. As Fiona Willer put it in your podcast, like dietitians just using like weight loss as their party trick. Like that's their, she, I love how that, that analogy. Um, and it's so easy for people to kind of like feed off of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh wait, look, I'm effective. And here's <laughs> how. And I know like entering the field, that's again, it's something that we're taught. And that's where it's such a difficult conversation. I have, I have RDs to be and registered dietitians all the time. And I'm sure you do too, as well, Fee, like messaging me, like, what do I do? Like, how do I do this? And that's where today I shared, again, that stuff from your podcast, just kind of alluding to how hard it has been. And I think Fiona can, and Jenna, because I told Jenna about this, can both attest, like, how was I leaving your workshop, Fiona? <laughs> I have never seen somebody head to a bar so quickly in my life, Sammy. I, had, I, I went to Penn State right after that with my room. I was bawling. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like, I could not, I could probably start crying right now even thinking about it. And that's like when I met Christy Harrison. So I was like shaking. I was talking to you. I was she like, has shaking. that effect. 
I know, right? She's like a celebrity. And um and you she's as well. She's so real. She's so real. No, I know. No, she's like she was amazing. Yeah. She was like, I know you. And I was like, Yeah, we probably talked about Fuck Diet Culture Friday at some point. But I was a mess. And I think it was like you said, it was like that cognitive dissonance and it was it's just that I never felt so heard by so many people that weekend and just like knowing that I was leaving that weekend and having to go back to diet culture and my business and all of these things and not have that group of however many amazing non-diet approach women in one room. It's, it's hard because it's diet culture is everywhere and um, it's really hard to do alone, but, and it's hard to make that shift. And that was my bit. I looked back, I have it somewhere in my purse I think I brought with me my non-diet approach like workshop booklet that you guys gave us and my goal for that weekend was to pull splinters out of my ass I opened the the book and that's what I had written down so um but like you said it's still working on it every day it's not about being perfect or or feeling like okay I don't do that anymore I'm this perfect anti-diet non-diet dietitian but it's just continuously learning. And I think that's something that both you and Haley have cultivated that, that community of just keep being curious, mm -hmm. keep, keep leaning into those emotions. It's hard, but keep doing it. Definitely. You I must think I want to teach a killer yoga class to Fiona. Oh, <laughs> from what I, I like, learned. <laughs> yeah. But like, honestly, everything that you're saying, like my husband teaches yoga and like a lot of the verbiage that you're using right now, I'm like, oh, okay. I hear some of this in his practice as well. Um, yeah. like, what a good counterpoint for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, you know, my mindfulness practice and my yoga practice is the reason Oh, actually, and community and supervision. Oh my God. Yes. Supervision saves me every day. Um, those are the reasons why I can also gather the, the kind of the, the energy and the focus to keep going because yeah. there are times when I feel like, fuck, like <laughs> where I feel like I'm batting up against brick walls, left, right and centre, whether that's kind of training organisations or community groups or just general diet culture, you know, just in general, this big Everywhere. nebulous thing it is. But, um, you know, I, I, think, I think part of it, to kind of get a little bit concrete about it, one of the, one of the things that I find can be helpful is starting off with something that might be familiar to us as dietitians. So, um, so many dietitians will be, will be really familiar with the behavioral change model, the stages of change, which mm -hmm. is a, a model, um, you know, originally designed by um, Prochaska and Di Clemente many years ago now, like it's not new, but what it does is it is it's, um, goes through yeah stages of change so there's pre-contemplation in the old days when we didn't kind of have good language around it we called this denial um, so, <laughs> so let's not call things denial anymore so pre-contemplation <laughs> contemplation preparation action maintenance and although you know you can see with my hands I'm kind of uh, you know uh, on a podcast this doesn't work but you know it's not a straight line it's not a nice, neat round circle. I mean, yeah. change doesn't work like that. It's mm -hmm. imagine a tangled ball of yarn. That's kind of what it is really um, more than anything else, stages of change. So if we think about this and what we already understand this in our work with clients, I think it gives us a foundation not only to see 
to view common humanity like we are humans too and we find change hard and we're going to find lots of reasons not to change and lots of reasons to stay comfortable but I think kind of drawing on those principles we can consider like where am I along that stage of change am I contemplative or am I in preparation and what's the what's the work that I am willing to do in order to move me further along into action into the doing and often the doing is not necessarily behavioral it sometimes is but often the do, often the doing uh, yeah often the kind of action stuff yeah. is more being willing to do reflective work so the behavior might be to engage in regular supervision with somebody who can really help help to hold the space for you for you and with you um, but that the, uh, the the other parts of action might be a little less obvious it's more about self-reflection moment to moment uh, moment those those moment to moment live uh, opportunities for us to lean into the discomfort of new things um, and and risking messing it up because that's one thing that people are like well if I'm gonna mess it up then I'm not gonna do it and it's like hang on a second we're kind of mimicking diet culture then mm -hmm. if we're gonna be perfect about it perfectionism is like um, diet culture's number one minion mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. So, you know, if we're, if we're anti-diet and we're anti-diet culture, we're not anti-people who want to diet because we're all swimming in this swamp together, right? We're not anti-people, but if we're anti-diet and anti-diet culture, then, you know, we're going to mess it up. We need to be, and we need to be willing to not fall into the same patterns that diet culture demands of us. And one of those is perfectionism. So mm -hmm. anyway, I've gone totally off track. No, <laughs> not even. <laughs> it's definitely a lot to think about. And there's just so many like tidbits that you've, you've given so clearly. Um, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I was so going to say like, Jenna, I want to hear your questions. Cause I've, you know, walked through some of this with B. So I want to hear where your brain's at. I just, all I can think about is the day. So Sammy FaceTimed me after the weekend that you guys were all away and she was literally laying horizontal on a couch in her office. And she was like, like this, like for everyone not watching us right now, her phone was in the air, her face was down. Like she was like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like crying. Yeah. She was drinking like in her office. I felt like I didn't have an identity. I felt like I had spent so much time in this culture that was like a lie and it and again I had I don't want people to think like when I went to that weekend that, that was the first time I heard the anti-diet no because it wasn't no 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 and and Haley which I said on social media today she has been a friend a colleague and a supervisor to push me to say hey like about that post like I want to just offer some feedback and to me, like, again, it was uncomfortable. Like, I don't want people to think it was like, oh, perfect. Like, I'll just change my messaging. That's all it is. But it's uncomfortable. You have to do self-reflection. You have to say, what was my intention behind the post? Is that going to bring people shame? How is that going to affect their behavior? Um, but then getting to a realization of like, okay, like, I am ready to take action, like, full action. Now what? 
So yeah. let me ask you both this. As practitioners that treat and help people in this space, at what point do we think that we need to become like certified in like in a mental health certification instead of nutrition? Because like right now in my own practice, I still talk, and I know you both do too, but I still talk a lot about food, right? Like people still have a lot of questions about food, but what I'm hearing and feeling from both of you is that majority of the conversations have really nothing to do with food and it's more of that inner work and that inner or retrospect so do you believe in your hearts that like we should be getting other certifications in this space so, i don't even know if that was a question or a thought it's, <laughs> no, it is such a good question it's such a good question jenna and it's actually a question i get a lot is but we're not psychologists why should, why are we doing this um okay so the first thing is that um actually food has a lot to do with everything um the relationship that we have with food and eating and our bodies mirrors a lot of other ways that we relate to ourselves and the world um and so i often will use food and eating and body image examples to kind of illustrate how we how we kind of show up in the world because even things like the way that we um, perform or pretend or do perfectionism. I love peas, by the way, <laughs> you, know this. Um, you know, the, the way that we show up in the world is, a, has a lot to do. There's so many parallels to with how we interact with food. So um, I would say, I'm going to be really honest with you talking about food and nutrition as an entity, I find extremely boring find it boring like whereas, <laughs> whereas um, when we're when we're using food and eating relationships and thinking about it more as a dynamic rather than this is an inanimate object I mean not everybody would say it's inanimate okay let's let's not even go there but let's talk about this object food and then I am a separate entity um, and I don't actually see it that way. I see it all as such a dynamic process. It's not only food, it's also our beliefs, our attitudes and the emotions that arise and then sensations in the body. And it's also just so dynamic. And you can even hear by the way I'm talking, I'm passionate about this stuff. I think mm. it's, you can't separate it. We all have a relationship with food, even if it's super, super, super shitty. We all have a relationship with it. So I think that's the missing piece is that we are trained to kind of see food and a human being as separate. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of, it makes me think of, um, you know, Descartes' early, um, early philosophies, I think, mm. therefore I am, which is like, hmm, no, not really <laughs> Descartes, but anyway, <laughs> like, I'm more a fan of like maybe some of Freud's early work, you know, some of the psychoanalytic stuff that's so, it's like a dynamic stuff that's just so, it's so fascinating and interesting. Um, but the truth is that I really think this is a vital part of being a dietitian is understanding that we're not separate. We are not separate to our clients. We are so similar. We are so, we're much more similar than different. Yeah. And um, we are all dealing with this very complex dynamic and this world which tells us that we should be doing things in certain ways we shouldn't be doing things in certain ways and we all kind of get you know we all kind of get involved um so do i think we need an extra qualification uh, no i actually don't think that's the case do i think that the base qualification is sufficient for most people 
no, I actually think we need to do lots more behavior change stuff. So lots mm -hmm. more motivational interviewing, maybe acceptance and commitment therapy, maybe cognitive behavioral therapy, all this stuff, which invites us to look at food and eating and body image and eating behaviors, not as separate to the person, but a vital part of how we support people in their healing process, whatever that means. So I'm not just talking about eating disorders or, or complex mental health or diet recovery. I'm also talking about, you know, the complex relationships that can come up when we have a diagnosis like celiac disease or diabetes or um, any anything or we or we um live with uh you know a lifetime of acne for example where you know we feel under enormous pressure to make all these dietary changes to to quote unquote kind of deal with this thing that where that we've um that shows up for us um so so our training is insufficient but that's not kind of not where it ends i've got a five-year degree and i never stop training ever 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 i mean <clears throat> my accountant had to sit me down last year and say <laughs> um excuse me can we talk about your professional development bill <laughs> and i'm like oh i kind of th threw my hands right in the off. air and made, and, and made like a helpless puppy face at him i was like i just i just i just take my money take my money <laughs> um so that's the short answer and also our scope of practice really it it expands the more that we get training and support um, and if I have done the training and I'm having appropriate supervision for the work that I'm doing I am absolutely in my scope of practice absolutely yeah. 100% for sure. I so, would add on just because I relate to honestly Jen I think I asked that exact question in September when I met them at the conference and that you know he gave a similar answer and I think a big part of it is the continuing education I know like if you asked me three years ago if I felt comfortable doing the counseling that I do now, absolutely not. Um, I would refer out for that because I didn't know how to work with that. But I think it becomes once we find like those same problems that people are having in front of us and realizing that like handing them a meal plan isn't gonna change anything if they have morality tied to food, if they can't listen to their hunger and fullness cues, if they have trauma, if and a lot of times that stuff is so present that nutrition is still a part of it. And that's something I think I thought that becoming an intuitive eating counselor or becoming a non-diet dietitian meant we don't talk about food. Mm -hmm. That's actually like the Mecca. That's like the, okay, I've, we've, once we realize like food's not the issue, we deal with all this stuff and then we get to food and then it's like, okay, we can work on nutrient density and all of that but if we start with that right out of the gate to a lot of people if there's a poor relationship with food it just kind of becomes that other diet because they can't see past all of that other stuff mm -hmm. but but then also my secondary answer to that is like absolutely building a referral system of course when there's deep trauma and there's things that are out of our scope no you're not supposed to be a therapist or a mental mm -hmm. health counselor um, and a lot of my clients do work with both us and like of course I, that would be ideal if all of them did but it's hard to do that but those that do see it as more of a multidisciplinary team that's super helpful um, for sure but going through the intuitive eating training and learning all about introspective awareness. And really it's, it's taking away the external 
So not what can I eat? When can I eat? How should I do this? What are my rules? What do I need to follow? What am I feeling? What are my mm-hmm. physical sensations that are coming up in my body? And, and that's something I know, Jenna, that you already teach. You turn people to how does that food make you feel instead of what should I be eating? So just let, it's exactly what we've both been saying is really just building more continuing education on that. So you feel comfortable saying like, sit with your eyes closed and your feet on the ground and tell me like, what does hunger feel like to you? Like, and at first, like, I know Fee, you did a training with us like that in DC. I was like, I feel weird. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, it's different. It's a different form of counseling. It's, it's really getting in touch with the body. It is very close to that Zen yoga kind of stuff. Spiritual. But, yeah. But it gets people, again, people have built such a distrust with their body due to the disturbances of diet culture. So it's learning how to reject all of that and trust that there's nothing wrong with their body and they have everything that they need. Um, and again, those are things you're already teaching, Jenna. It makes me feel so much better to hear you both say these things because I, I really do all of that. You I think do. that the, the problem maybe, and I feel like I'm turning this into like a session about me. I feel bad. It's great. <laughs> I think the issue is really like when you take a person on into your practices, the expectations I think on my end need to be clearer. Um, I think yeah. that's an area that I can for sure improve on that because most people come into me, I don't want to trick them and say, you're not going to lose weight or I'm not going to help you. I'm very clear that we're going to work on your behaviors first. And if your body changes, that's great. Yes. But conversation after conversation that comes up. And so I think I need to be clearer about, you know, who, who I work with. Um, and that's not to say any client of mine that's listening that we're not doing this the right way and the best way for you, but you know, it does, what you're saying resonates with me so much because, and Fiona, I, I've talked about this in previous episodes before. I mean, my history with diet culture is disgusting. (laughs) Most most white women have. I am am a victim of that diet culture bullshit. And I was actually talking to my mom yesterday because um, I was talking to her about like, I had this moment where I was like, I feel so awful for the clients that I worked with four or five years ago, six years ago. Like I damaged those people and maybe they don't realize it, but like, I want to send all of them a letter of my apology for like what, you know, anything that I had to do with their cycle of just unhappiness and like, like what a shitty feeling. (laughs) All we can do is change it going forward. But if any of you are listening, I am so sorry. Uh, It's just such a terrible feeling, but like we come out of school and that's what we're told to do. Um, Absolutely. And that's what people come to us wanting too, Jenna, which is what you were saying. It's like, well, so, and this is part of, diet culture bullshittery right is that dietitians are pegged as the weight loss people and apparently we have this tool or this skill or this thing in our top drawer that we pull out that we know stuff that other people don't and that is not true we know it's not true and actually i think a lot of us know it's not true in our hearts so we bunker down and defend that I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I think it's really yeah. an uncomfortable truth to think, oh, Jesus, like our whole our whole profession is built on some untruths in lots of ways and it's really uncomfortable. But, you know, if it's helpful to you, would it, would it be helpful to you, Jenna, for me to kind of uh, 
to assist you because this is a podcast and people are listening, right? <laughs> to assist yeah. you with ha- how, how you can start having those conversations yeah. with people because honestly, and I wonder if you um, observe this too, Sammy, that is a dietitian's number one question is it's, mm-hmm. but people are coming to me wanting weight loss. I don't want to dash their dreams. Right. I don't want to, you know, I, I, I I also have a business to run. Um, you know, h- how can I be true to this weight inclusive anti-diet philosophy whilst also supporting people with where they're at? And I think this is quite complex. So would it be helpful, Jenna, if I kind of talked you through that? Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. So the first thing is, and I can tell you're already picking up on this because you used the words before, and that is setting a, setting a foundation. So from the mo- moment, okay, so I'll ask you this, Jenna, how do people find you? Instagram. <laughs> okay, Instagram. And then, and so what are they, what are they seeing and noticing? Like what, yeah, what are they seeing and noticing on Instagram? I would say that my, what I try to portray the most is how much I love food and how much I eat. Um, I'm constantly eating and cooking and I work from home. So they're, they're seeing that, but I think that they're also seeing positive energy um, mm-hmm. in addition to exercise. So I don't know if that falls into a bad category, but exercise is like very important to me. And I do share, you know, when I'm exercising. So people find me through those ways as well which might be a trigger (laughs) well so people are finding you first through kind of a food and exercise image-based medium right and from there people would I'm assuming they would click on your bio and find a website is that right yes and then what are they seeing there it's being completely redone (laughs) at the moment (laughs) okay so they're seeing, are they seeing some imagery? Are they seeing some words? What are, what are they? They're what seeing they? recipes for the most part, which is why okay. it's being redone. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the reason I'm asking you this is because people, the first contact we have with people, unless we work in a group practice where our um, appointments are made for us, which is, I mean, some, for some people that is the case, like the, literally the very first meeting is when they walk into your office type thing. Um, but for a vast majority of us, um, people will find us either through social media or through our website. And so the very first impressions that people get of what to expect from you, including um, the, the kind of way that you are in the world, that imagery, and and um, and what you're promoting, that sets up an expectation. It might be unspoken, but it definitely sets up an expectation. So if I saw imagery of somebody exercising in a smaller, wide appearing body, um, female, um, and recipes and food, um, if I came to you, I would be expecting you to, t- to be telling me what to eat and be handing me a little plan and give me recipe ideas and things like that. I would also expect that you wouldn't necessarily talk to me about eating behavior or body image or be talking about your relationship with food. So if you were my supervisee and you said, I'm getting all these people I, and, I, and I'm guessing that with the revamp of the website, you've already kind of, you've already picked this up and that is you need to be more, you would need to be more overt with what people can expect and be more transparent with what people can expect. Now in saying that, um, what I'm not saying is you're being dishonest and not transparent. What I put more to point out or the invitation is more to think about how can I help people to understand a lot more about what I'm about before they even step 
um, foot in here so that if we are talking about relationships with food or we are talking about appetite awareness or I do want to ask some, some of those maybe a little bit tricky mental health questions which I think everybody every dietitian should be asking that it's not going to be like why are you asking me this I yeah. just want a friggin recipe do you know what I mean yeah so um that's the first thing and I know that was like super condensed no it was, I took notes <laughs> <laughs> You're writing notes. I have notes <laughs> Um, and so that's the first thing and often that needs to all be kind of um set up yeah I think my message I think what I've struggled with for the past six to eight months I'd say is confusion so I think that if you were to look at my Instagram right now I think you too maybe both of you even would might be confused as to like there's definitely splinters like flying out of her ass. Right <laughs> You're because in a stage of change, Jenna. It I feel like, like you'll You're see, in a stage of change. You'll yeah. see the core of what's there because I do yeah. use a lot of words and like fun and whatever, but um, there's could definitely still be some, from a professional opinion, some triggers of this the middle of the fence area. And that's definitely going to be something that I start auditing a little bit more closely. Well, that can be something that you can take to a trusted person. So someone like Sammy is definitely somebody who, who's like, Hey, I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> dinners. Can you look through my stuff yeah. and give me some honest feedback? Yeah. Because there's nothing like honest feedback from somebody yeah. who you trust. Like, thank goodness, you know, someone like you, Sammy is just so open hearted. And it's just so receiving, you know, um, not everybody is like that, but also you thoughtfully chose people to, as like mentors and teachers who you knew that they really cared about you. They weren't, there wasn't some stranger on the internet. It was somebody who really cared about or people who really cared about you, really cared to help you learn. So, I mean, Sammy, I'm so interested if it's okay to ask you about that is, so if people do want to learn more and they're like, oh, Yes. What is that feeling I have in my butt? It's a splinter. It's a million splinters. So how, how would you suggest people go about that process, do you think? Do you mean exactly what you were just answering for Jenna? Yeah. So I would say one thing to keep in mind too, Jenna, is no matter what your messaging is, you're always going to get people that come to you that want to lose weight because you're a dietitian. Yeah. And that's okay, right? We're not against people who want to lose weight, it's then your opportunity to say, and again, these are things I think you're already doing of like, if you're trying to improve your health, we can focus on behaviors, et cetera. But for us, like when we had the big shift in messaging, we've had such an uptick of people that already understand they don't want to diet. They don't want to focus on the scale. They're like the idealist of ideal clients. And you're just like welcoming them with opening arms versus our old messaging when we are in that stage of change, that exact confusion that you're feeling, you're getting all these people that are like, I want to lose 10 pounds by next week. And then you have to be like, uh, 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 no, but, <laughs> but I can help you with your behaviors. But then there's like, they have again, that expectation. So I think that's, that's a huge part of it. And we're actually also in the process of revamping our entire website because it hasn't been changed in four years since we've had this huge change. And so, um, it, it's definitely a transitional period, but I think just leaning, like we've said this whole podcast, leaning into that feeling and knowing it's like a normal thing. Um, you saw me go through it, Jenna. So I'm happy to, to be that person for you. So you don't need to leave the field. You don't need to shut down your business um, whatsoever. If anything, 
you already are helping people. It's just equipping yourself to feel more confident to continuously kind of just work through that stuff with people. Yeah. That's so well said. And just to know that people care. I mean, this is actually really cool. I don't know if you've uh, kind of done this in this way on the podcast before, but no. it's actually it's actually <laughs> kind of cool. Session. Right? But it's it. kind of cool because yeah. what you've brought to us, Jenna, is uh, it's a question I answer all the time. Yeah. All the time. I, that was what I asked, B and Haley. I was like, I, it's just like, how do I do this? How do I help people? I want to run a business. They already think that like, that's the, the million dollar question. And at the end of the day, understanding that intuitive eating or haze or whatever you want to call it, you are helping people become healthier because I think that could be a whole nother podcast episode. Maybe we'll get into that with Haley because we have her next week. Like, and she put up a post today. People think that anti-diet, non-diet means you don't care about health. It's yeah. the complete opposite. It's literally that- the complete opposite. And it's such a hard message to share with people loudly because I don't know if you two feel this way, but I think there's so many supporters of you and your communities are built off of the supporters of that message. But like diet culture is so loud and they make haze and intuitive eating like seem like the devil to some extent. Does that make sense? Like they make it seem so my dog somehow got into this room and I don't know how he got here, but... um, (laughs) That's why I'm looking down, but it's like, it's such a hard, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, some of like the struggles that you come up against, but you're two very strong, amazing women that are really paving the way for so many people. And it's just like, this has been an incredible, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by. I know, I know, I know. I want to be fair to Fiona's boys and their soccer games or whatever they have today. But I mean, I never want this conversation to end because it just feels so, it feels so natural. Yeah. And it won't end. We'll be here. here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a crazy thing. Like, could you imagine being an intuitive eating dietitian in ShopRite, Sammy? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) That's why, that's why I'm not there anymore. But no, and, um, you know, I think it just shows like, you know, our field is evolving, our, the research is evolving. Um, just, I think the big takeaway from this and Fiona, tell me if I'm wrong, is just continue to be curious, continue to lean in for any dietitians listening, for any RDs to be that are just like, I don't know if I want to be in this field anymore. Um, it's just continuing to grow and continuing to listen and follow that intuition that, and those feelings that you're feeling in your heart. Yeah, absolutely. I would concur with that a hundred percent, Sammy. I think part of it, it part of the work is, um, also taking our time and as dietitians we're we're often not always but often so used to okay what's the next thing to do you know and rushing Mm. rushing 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 but this actually it's a slow process like and it mimics the process that our clients go through too so if we are asking our clients to do the hard work to develop a new way of being in the world that doesn't include dominant diet culture or that they are aware enough of diet culture that they can be thoughtful about (laughs) how when and why they would engage um, then you know, we, we kind of owe it to each other and ourselves and our clients too to be doing the work at the same time. And so when, when we say doing the work, there are a couple of things there. There is the formal training and the professional development and workshops and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, that's only the start, really, to be honest. And I think, well, that's been my experience is it's only the start. 
And if nothing else, it kind of opens up more boxes and you're like, oh shit, it's another box. Crap. Right, exactly. It just opens up more stuff, right? But then that's only the start of it. The, the second part is the ongoing work. So things like seeking a supervisor. Um, I find it really frustrating when people are like, oh, I don't work in eating disorders. I don't need a supervisor. And I'm like, are you a human being that works with other human beings? then you need a supervisor. Yeah. So a supervisor is not someone who tells you what to do. It's basically like a dietetic therapist. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's like that, you know, I take, I take business dilemmas to my supervisor. I take, you know, tricky endings with clients to a supervisor. I take my own shit to a supervisor. Like I just, it's so good. It's so good. Um, and then also just reflective work. So the same, similar kind of reflective work that we would do as a student, you know, it's like you're taking the time to really understand ourselves and understand how our own buttons get pushed as well, you know, um, and that's just constant work. I don't think that ever ends. So Never. I find, I don't, rather than I used to find that overwhelming, I'm like, oh my God. Ah! Whereas now I find it exciting. Like I find it really, yeah. it's like, what? I'm mid-career because I'm literally probably mid-career now I'm like what my learning never ends <laughs> cool that's really cool I don't feel overwhelmed by that anymore I'm like this is yeah. so cool excellent and now I'm in this such fortunate position I mean as you know Sammy I'm now doing much more uh, kind of training and education of other health professionals and mostly dietitians yeah. but kind of a range of health professionals and I'm like oh man this is such a privilege to be in this space where people want to learn they're here they're invested their time energy resources to learn and that we can kind of you know um, really get the message out there in ways that are really meaningful well, again, we would we could keep going for probably hours at this point, but you have basketball games to get to, I believe. So and then, wait, there's one quote though that's on here that I think is like the perfect way to end it before you ask her the final question, Sammy. And I don't know where our amazing interns found this, but I feel like this is like defines who you are um, and what I've learned from this conversation the most. But this is air quoted, so hopefully you said this. Hopefully they didn't quote us out of it. If I've done my job well as a dietitian, you'll be listening to yourself more than you're listening to me. And I think that's so beautiful. I can actually start crying because I feel like if more dietitians could understand the true layers of what that means, we could be saving so many more lives. And this is now like the second time I've cried today on a podcast. I mean, that gives me the chills because I like what a, there's no better feeling than that. And that is something that I mean, wow. So thank you for that and thank all of you. this. And now you take it away, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> well, so to wrap up again, thank you, Fiona, for being here. And we will, in the future, we'll have you on for counseling session part two. <laughs> It'll be down the road, hopefully after we come to one of your workshops again. Um, but so for anyone who's listening or watching, just how can they find you or what's the best way for them to get in contact with you, Fee? Yeah, thank you, Sammy. So um, the, uh, now uh, I think almost everything is under the Mindful Dietitian. So the website okay. is themindfuldietitian.com.au because the AU is Australia and <laughs> that's just how our websites work. Uh, and then I, I'm pretty active on Instagram as well. Um, so that's 
the mindful dietitian. And if you are a, um, a health professional or dietitian, then we have a pretty active Facebook group also called the mindful dietitian. <laughs> now um, that is actually a closed group, um, which means that there are some questions. So I'm like standing at the door saying, hello, Jenna, welcome to the mindful dietitian. <laughs> Tell me a bit about yourself. And this is a bit about the group. Do you agree to these kind of, um, you know, the, these group guidelines? So it'll be like tick, tick, Hello, welcome, Jenna. Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian, a place where you can unload and you can feel the warmth of community and see feisty people. Yeah, <laughs> meet meet lots of feisty girl. people. Yeah. Um, so that's where you can find. I'll also have the Mindful Dietitian podcast as well. But Which in order like to find me. Episode 49. Yeah. Yeah. Fiona Willer? Oh, yeah. It just, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I put that one in the show notes and that's what I quoted today on social media. It was just, it's amazing. Well, thank you, Fee, for sharing your Saturday morning with our Friday night. Such a How is Saturday looking good over there. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a sunny day. It's beautiful. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, Fee. We appreciate you more than you know. Um, and cheers to you. And we hope to see cheers. you again soon. Cheers, cheers to you. Guys, thank you so much for listening and being here with us. I am virtually cheersing all of you. We absolutely love sipping on a cocktail with you and sharing as many nutrition tipsies as possible during this episode. We know there are a ton of pods out there, and we are so appreciative of your time that you spent listening to us today. Please be sure to check out the show notes for episode details and all of our guest information. We promise to keep bringing you the best and the most knowledgeable and fun guests we possibly can. Please be sure to subscribe, like, share, and post if you enjoyed our content today. And visit us on Instagram and Facebook at Drunk Dietitians to find out what is up next for us on the pod. We absolutely love you. We appreciate you and can't wait to spend more time cheersing with you soon.